Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Well, tonight we have another guest and topic for you. And as you can see, we're going to be discussing why are we still clueless about intimacy? Do you think that we are? Or do you think that we're just not getting the correct information at the right time from the right sources? Well, we have a special guest tonight, all the way from New York, USA, and she's Dr. Sada. Salamu alaikum, Dr. Sada. Thank you for having me on your channel. It's absolutely our pleasure. Welcome to British Muslim TV and especially on the show tonight. It is such an honor to have you here today. I would love to learn more about you and I'm sure our viewers like to know your profession, what you do. So please, Dr. Sada, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so uh, I am an OBGYN. So that's uh, for some people. Actually, I still get asked, what is an OBGYN? So an OBGYN is a doctor that deals with obstetrics and gynecology. And obstetrics is basically the study of pregnancy. And we deal with high risk, low risk pregnancies, um, childbirth, that's what we do. And then gynecology is a study of female uh, body parts. So for example, like the uterus, the ovaries and things of that nature. And so I am a doctor that specializes in female medicine. What an amazing job you have. And again, such an honor for you to be with us tonight. I think it's so important what you do. And it's so intelligent for us to learn more about this. But there is a taboo. And I want to warn the viewers that we are going to be using certain language and terminology because of the actual um, topic that we have tonight. And if anybody is triggered or affected, please make sure that you do reach out to britishmuslim.tv forward slash support make sure that you do take care. But we are here to give information. Now, Dr. Sadaf, we actually do have an issue in our community generally, especially when it comes to the Muslims, you know, talking about intimacy, talking about sex, it's quite taboo. Now, why do you think that is? And how do you think we can resolve that? Absolutely. So just to also let your viewers know, I am also an intimacy coach. And um, I received my coaching certificate through Rutgers University here in the United States. And then also I'm uh, doing a program through the University of Michigan on sexual counseling and education. So I am a trained professional as well as a gynecologist. So you asked about why is speaking about sex and intimacy a taboo? Well, I think it all has to do with the way that we are raised. And I feel also that um, in certain communities, you know, sex is seen as something that is dirty, shameful, embarrassing, you know, something that we don't talk about. And I think what's really important to understand is that Islam itself is a very, very sex positive religion. And that the Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, discussed um, intimacy openly with people so that they could learn, right? It wasn't for any bad intentions, but it was so that we learned so that we knew how to behave with our spouses so that we knew how to take care of each other and to fulfill each other's needs. 
you know, I think it's also very important to understand that marriage is seen as half the faith. And there's a reason for that, right? The reason is that so that we don't go astray. And so that intimacy has always in Islam been seen within the context of marriage. So that's also very important to understand. So we are not talking or discussing marriage, you know, intimacy outside of marriage. It is specific to marriage. And so there is nothing wrong with seeking help, you know, if you're having issues with intimacy with a, a trained professional or somebody that understands the anatomy so that they can help you, right? We are not discussing it openly in any perverted sort of manner, but it's more for education and learning and so that we can fulfill half of our deen. I love that. And I think what you said is so important about us learning about the anatomy. I feel that a lot of people, even after marriage, after years of marriage, they still don't know themselves. Do you still come across people in that sort of state as well yourself? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like, for example, you'll see on different like reels on TikTok and things like that, that, you know, people will ask men, should a woman, you know, is a woman able to urinate if she has a tampon in? And they cannot answer that question because they don't know the anatomy, right? So I think one of the most important things, again, is to know and understand, and for women specifically, to know and understand your body right? To know that, you know, there are different um, orifices, different holes that we have that serve different functions in our lives, and to know and to understand that. And for men also, not just for women, but for men also to understand that and to know so that we can all have the same vocabulary. And so that if there's anything that is wrong, that you can go to your provider, go to your OB, go to whoever you go to, and speak to them and let them know what's bothering you by using the correct terminology and vocabulary so that you can express your concerns. Very true. I think it's both uh, important, uh, men and women, to understand themselves and each other. Um, we do have a lot of issues. I know myself having a lot of clients with regards to not having a fulfilled sex life. So how does one identify the need to seek out a sex therapy? Yeah, you know, I think that that is a very important question. And the way to know is there are different you know, things in our lives that we seek and we want fulfillment and right. So for example, there's our careers, there's our marriage, there's our relationships that we have with our family and our friends. And I think that if somebody is in a relationship, for example, somebody is married, right? And they find that they are not being satisfied. So we know that in Islam, actually, sexual satisfaction and pleasing your partner is very important. And that a woman can actually ask for a divorce if she is not being, you know, sexually satisfied. And so knowing that, it's very important for the husband, for the spouse to make sure that he does spend time with his wife, that he knows what she likes, what she doesn't like so that he can understand and so that they can both fulfill their ends of what their sexual rights are in marriage, right? And so uh, if we look back, if we look at the traditions of the prophet, peace be upon him, وسلم, you know, the prophet tells us that it's very important for once a man has you know, say that he has fulfilled his need, that it's very important that he be sure to satisfy the needs of his wife as well, right? And what we're talking about specifically is orgasm. And I think that what's also very important to understand is that, 
you know, what we see on the news, what we see in the media, what we see in the tabloids, you know, is not always real, right? We have these perceptions of what sex should be. And then perhaps, you know, when we don't get find that in our own relationship, in our own marriage, then we think that there's something wrong with us, or that we're broken, or that there's something that cannot be fixed. And the important thing to understand is that that's not the case, right? What's also important to understand is that as we age, we have different responsibilities, we have different roles. And so sex and intimacy and relationships are going to look different as we get older. And that's considered sexual intelligence. So for example, say that in your 20s, you have less responsibilities. And so you're able to be, you know, and you're married. And so you're able to be intimate with your partner or your spouse much more freely, right, in the confines of your home. And, you know, you don't have as much stress or things that are, you know, important for you to get done right away. But as we age, you know, we have the stresses of jobs and of our parents and say that if we're taking care of aging parents, you know, that becomes something of a responsibility that we usually carry. Also, you know, jobs and stresses related to our jobs become very important as well. So we have to understand that and know that. So once we see that we're having issues in our relationships, say intimacy, we have to remember that whatever happens in the bedroom is not exclusive to the bedroom. That is probably also happening outside of the bedroom. So for example, if you're not able to communicate with your spouse about intimacy or what you want in your relationship um, via, you know, sexually, then that's also probably something that's happening outside of just talking about intimacy. You're probably not talking about other aspects of your relationship. Perhaps you're not able to communicate properly about finances or maybe about the children or maybe about the in-laws or something like that. So what I see is that, you know, intimacy is just a byproduct or problems in it is usually a byproduct of what is happening outside of the bedroom, right? And so one of the key, key things to help with intimacy and in a relationship is communication, open and honest communication and talking to your partner about what you like, what you don't like, and then moving from there. I think what you raised is so interesting and I've got so many questions with regards to that. The first thing I want to ask you, um, how do you know what you want, especially when you're so new into a relationship and most of us are going to go into a relationship at the very first time. Now, we are very clueless about, you know, the whole idea of, you know, intimacy and the way in which our bodies work, the way in which we learn about ourselves and the other person. Before the break, we were talking about how we need to communicate, how we need to tell our partners what we like, what we don't like. When you go into a relationship, especially in our communities for the very first time, we have no clue about ourselves, let alone to express that to somebody else. How do we learn this and how do we know over time and how long does it take? Because I think there's a lot of pressure as well, like, for example, the wedding night and also afterwards the honeymoon period. And then for everyone to make sure that it's all perfect and right. So how do we go about this whole process, Dr. Sadov? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm so glad that you asked that. So I think that one of the very first things we have to understand is that, you know, being Muslim, um, we are not supposed to have intimate relations outside of marriage, right? So then how do you go into a marriage and know what you like and what you don't like? Well, I think that what you have to know and understand is that you'll have to go slow. And, you know, I think it'll be, it's a great opportunity 
And it's a great time to be curious about each other and experiment with each other, I think, and to find out and to learn about the other person, right? To see it as an experiment and you find out and you ask questions and you ask your partner what they like and what they don't like. I think that it's very difficult for people that um, go into a relationship not knowing, right? The unknown, because we we're not supposed to have intimate relations outside of marriage. So when we go into a marriage, there are a lot of expectations. And especially if you've had no one that you can discuss these issues with and you keep them inside. And especially if, if perhaps your family feels very uncomfortable discussing topics such as intimacy and sex, then you really won't have anyone to talk to them about. You know, I think a good resource is speaking to your doctor or your gynecologist or your family practitioner and talking to them about it. And for women, I think it's especially important because it's important to know your options, right? Options about contraception, if you want to have children right away, or if you want to wait, you know, what you decide um, really should be implemented before you get um, to that day, which is your wedding night, so that if you're deciding not to have children right away, that you're on some form of contraception before uh, the marriage so that, you know, your body's used to it and so that you don't get pregnant right away, if that's something that you're interested in. Um, waiting on. And also in terms of, you know, how do you know, how do you know what you like? Well, I think that, you know, once you get into your relationship, once you get into your marriage, you know, the very first thing I would do is take it very slow, right? Learn about each other, learn each other's bodies, whatever, see what you like, what you don't like, but give it time. I don't think that we can allow ourselves to believe what we see on TV or the media or, you know, what we see in print about, you know, just, people just having sex everywhere and it's just crazy and it's just so much passion and this and that because that's probably not going to be the case right there's probably going to be a lot of you're probably you know you may feel shy you may feel embarrassed you may not know what to expect so I think it's going to be very important to approach the topic approach the intimacy with very delicate hands be very gentle, be, be very kind to each other, right? Show yourself compassion, show the other person compassion and let it be, you know, let it happen over time. Don't rush it. I think that, you know, or have that a certain perception in your mind that, you know, on the wedding night, I'm supposed to have intercourse. This is what it's supposed to be like. This is what it's supposed to, you know, feel like this is what's going to happen. No, give yourself that time, give yourself that space to learn about each other. And so that you can find out what you like and what you don't like. I think that's really, really sound advice. And I think that's so useful, especially for everyone that's watching. And when we think about going into a relationship, it's such a scary process, regardless, because your whole life and, you know, completely alters but also the physique, you know, phys uh, physical side of things and the way in which you are going to feel about yourself and the other partner. And obviously to be exposed in that way, it's, it's not an easy journey. And again, there's so much expectation. And what you mentioned as well about, you know, watching on the movies and just generally on the media is not necessarily the best information out there. I mean, you mentioned going into your GP or practitioner and things like that. The other thing is also there are a lot of, you know, couples therapy that happens. And, you know, um, with that, I give a lot of also premarital courses and I think if you have a section where it does discuss that then it's quite um it's very vital for you to actually go and talk to somebody so that you can actually even go in there and uh, address some of your concerns and issues as well now also before you mentioned um 
Dr. Sadaf, with regards to the changes, and you mentioned about the stress and things like that. But I know also um, when it comes to men and women, we do change and we are different in the way in which we actually are quite um, sexual in our age, regardless of stress and regardless of the times, like maybe the testosterone is heightened at an early age for men. And then for women, they feel a lot more of that uh, sexual need when they're a lot more older. Now, a lot of people don't even know that. And recently there's studies that shows a lot of older women are going for younger men as well for that main reason. So how do you sort of like align and uh, how can you sort of highlight as to the science and biology um, with regards to men and women's sexuality? So for men, we know that, you know, their testosterone is very high when they're younger and it does, you know, start to wane a little bit as they get older. For women, you know, it's also important to know that there are lots of changes that happen, right? So when women are younger um, in their reproductive phase of their life, so that reproductive phase is, you know, from the onset of puberty or when they first get their period to menopause, right? Those are the reproductive years. And so you have your estrogen, your progesterone, but once you no longer have a period for a whole year, a woman is in menopause, right? So what happens during that time? Well, her estrogen goes down, her progesterone goes down, and she may have some hot flashes, some night sweats, you know, and with women, they may experience some vaginal dryness, vaginal, what we call atrophy, And the reason why that's important, the reason why I even bring it up, right, is that that will definitely affect intimacy. So, you know, a woman may find that she's having painful intercourse, that she's having a lot more UTIs as she gets older. So one of the solutions for that is to take estrogen, right? And to also use something called vaginal estrogen, which will help with that vaginal dryness, the prevention of the recurrent UTIs, and hopefully prevent that painful intercourse. So those are why it's very important to also go and see your doctor as things start to shift and change as you get older, because there may be treatments and, you know, women, as we get older may think like, well, perhaps, you know, I don't need anything or that's just the way it has to be. And the answer is it doesn't have to be that way, that it's so important to go and be evaluated. But, you know, you're also talking about women being more, um, confident. And yes, women as you know, as they get older, right, once they're in their 40s, you know, perhaps late 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, women tend to become more sexually confident. And why is that? Because women know at this point what they like and what they don't like, and they're able to express it to their spouses. And so that's why, you know, it's easier for women to be able to explain what they like, because now, you know, several years have passed, and they know what they like, and what they don't like. So, you know, that's um, hopefully part of the answer to your question. Oh, absolutely. I think you've given us more than uh, what I asked. But the thing is, before even menopause, there are a lot of women, whatever age they are, they actually will have children in their marriages. Does that have any effect on um, the sort of the intimacy and the sexual intercourse? So what sort of steps do we take then? And what does women need to know? And as well as men, how do they have to respond to it? Because they also going through it at the same time. So what do they need to know and be aware of after women having children? And how long does it take for them to go back to normality? Or is there a change and a difference? Absolutely. So I'm glad you asked that question. And I think this is so important for women to understand that, you know, childbirth, plays a huge role in, you know, how we feel about our bodies, right? There's so much in there that we could talk about, but, you know, there's different changes that occur 
right? So as women, when we get pregnant, you know, we get, we tend to get bigger, obviously we're carrying another human in our bodies. Um, and then after we have that baby, right, there's so much that changes in a woman's um, hormones, you know, the estrogen, estrogen, the progesterone go down, you know, she may be lactating, she may be breastfeeding, and then those hormones are suppressed when she's breastfeeding and nursing, right? And so if she's always tired, if she is always nursing, if she always has, you know, children screaming in the back, um, all of those things, right, will affect her desire for um, intercourse, right? Desire for intimacy. If she is constantly under stress, then that will put on the brakes for intimacy and arousal. And so for in terms of spouses, what they can do to help alleviate that is take off a lot of things that may be riding on the wife, right? On their spouse. So for example, if your wife is always getting up in the middle of the night to do some feedings, you know, it could be that perhaps you share in that responsibility as well, right? So women, and this is something that's also very, very important in regard to intimacy, right? There are things that, um, and actually there's a great author, her name is Emily Nagoski, and she wrote a book called, um, she comes, was it come as you are. And um, what she states in, states in there is that, you know, women have what's called accelerators and brakes. And when we have a lot of things that are starting the brakes in our mind, right? So it's something that's also very important to know and understand is that the biggest sexual organ that a human has is the brain. And so if we are under constant stress, if we are under constant um, anxiety or depression and things like that, those things are going to put on the brakes for intimacy and um, different types of even emotional intimacy, right? I'm glad you said that. And you know what, I'm going to pick up on that even more, to be honest, because I think what you've said is so, so important. And I want you to go a little bit more deeper into how our emotional intimacy affects our physical connection. Are we still clueless about intimacy? Well, definitely not after listening to Dr. Sadaf today. She's been absolutely brilliant with all the insights and information. And I'm literally taking it all like a sponge. And I hope you are as well. Now, before the break, we were talking about the stress and anxiety and about especially women after children and how that can really, you know, put the brakes on for them having that sort of like urge and the need for having any sort of like, you know, sexual sort of intimacy with their partners or having the need, the desire. But at the end of the day, just generally life, um, we can have um, sort of like this kind of way of thinking that can also affect us physically. So how does emotional intimacy affect a couple's physical connection? And what does that even mean? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. So, you know, it's very, very important to understand that the whole physiology of desire is very complex, right? So it involves looking at everything. Um, And especially for women, women tend to want and almost crave emotional intimacy before they even are interested in the physical intimacy aspect of it, right? So for men, I would say that mostly the physical intimacy, men can be physically intimate with their spouses and without that emotional connection, they don't need that. They don't crave it as much, whereas women definitely crave it and want it. 
um, so that they can be physically intimate. So if you, there is no connection, like that emotional aspect, that emotional connection with your wife, with your spouse, then it's unlikely that she's going to want to be physically intimate with her partner. And so why is this important? This is important because for men, and I think it kind of goes back to your question of this whole um, live session that we're having is that, you know, our, why are we still clueless about intimacy? It's because we don't really grasp the connection between the emotional intimacy and the physical intimacy, right? It's almost like you can't have one without the other. And that's why they say the brain is the biggest sexual organ. So it's very important to find that connection. How do you go about finding that connection? Well, the connection is you have to take a look at what's going on in that woman's life, right? So in medicine, um, there is a physician that came up with uh, what we call the biopsychosocial model. It's the sexual response cycle for women. And it was created by a woman named Rosemary Basson. And she came up with the fact that, you know, we have to look at the biology, right? We have to look at the psychosocial. What that means is like the brain, the, you know, what's going on like mentally in that person's mind. And then the social aspect, like culturally, and, you know, what are the other stressors happening? Like, does she just have a child? Is she in a new um, city? Is she, you know, experiencing different types of stresses, maybe from work, maybe from losing a job, right? What are the other aspects of that woman's life? When we talk about the biology aspect of it, you know, we're thinking about what are the things that can cause this decreased desire? Well, it could be maybe she has high blood pressure, maybe she's diabetic, and maybe she's on medications that are preventing her from wanting intimacy, right? Decreasing the desire. Maybe if we're talking about the psycho part of it, right? The mental aspect of it, you know, is she under a lot of stress, but not only stress, but does she have anxiety? Does she have depression? Did she just lose somebody in her life, right? That was very important. What, what is it that's going on? So that's why it's so important to look at the whole person and what's going on for them. And not only just see that, well, you know, my, my partner doesn't want to be intimate with me. Well, you know, there could be lots of reasons why she has this decreased arousal, this decreased desire, you know, and so it's so important to look at the whole person and see what's going on in their life. I think, again, you raised something so important, which goes on to my next question. And I know it could be quite triggering for someone to hear this if they are actually experiencing it or have gone through it. So again, if you do need to reach out, please do so on BritishMuslim.tv forward slash support. My next question is, how can someone with a traumatic past heal and move towards a healthy, intimate life? Because there are many couples that have gone through um, sort of like uh, sexual abuse or some sort of like, you know, trauma that they think going into another relationship may be that healing. But then when they go into it, it actually just only triggers them. And it really is um, something really detrimental to the entire relationship. And even the partner is not aware of it. So um, I've had clients like this recently, and it is something that is coming up more and more where people are experiencing and they have no idea how to heal from that. And they think going into another relationship will heal from it. So what is your answer to that when someone has a traumatic past? Um, and how do they so heal glad. from it? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because, you know, there is a lot more trauma in, you know, our society than we know about, right? And oftentimes people don't talk about it because they are embarrassed. Perhaps they feel guilty. Perhaps there's, you know, there's a stigma, right? Around mental health and seeking help when we need help. So how does somebody heal from trauma? I think one of the most important things 
first and foremost is to realize that you have this trauma, right? That trauma could have been have, you know, something that happened in the past that you've internalized and now shows up in your relationship in different ways. Perhaps, you know, you are stonewalling your partner. Perhaps you're not talking to them. Perhaps you, you know, pull away every time they try to touch something like that. So, you know, it's important to realize that first and foremost, that there's a problem. And then once you realize that there's a problem, then after acknowledging it, then you have to seek help, right? And so who is it that you go to ask for help? Well, I would definitely ask a mental health professional. Perhaps it's a therapist, perhaps it's a sex therapist, but somebody that can then help you unpack the trauma that you've been carrying around with you, right? That baggage that you have, somebody that can help you unfold that and then process it. So one of the most important things I think in life is to be able to process emotions because only when we process those emotions are we able to move forward. You know, somebody once said that, you know, feelings are like tunnels. You have to go through them to see the light. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so important because unless we learn to process the trauma and to sit in our feelings so that we can process them, then only then can we move forward. And then only then can we have those healthy relationships with people that love us, that understand us, that are patient with us, and that want to genuinely be with us, right? So for people that may have experienced trauma in the past, you know, I hear you, I see you. And I think it's very important to know that you are valid in your feelings and in your emotions. And the way that physically that trauma, you know, may manifest in your relationship. But it's very important that if you have had trauma, that you go and you seek help for that trauma. Brilliant. I love that. I love everything that you said. And again, um, so, so crucial for anyone that's experiencing it or had gone through it. Please do seek that advice. So what is the difference between a sex therapist as well as a sex coaching? Are there any similarities, differences? Could you highlight that, please? Absolutely. So, you know, for example, like a sex therapist is a therapist that, you know, has special knowledge about sex and the intricacies of sex and relationship and things like that. Um, but therapists tend to deal with traumas and things that have happened in the past. And then they help you to unfold those so that, you know, you no longer have that trigger or that trauma that occurred in the past. A coach is somebody that sees what is holding you back and then helps you to move forward, right? So it's always forward thinking, forward facing. So, you know, we may deal with things in the past a little bit, perhaps, you know, if, you have, if you've had trauma or things like that, but then we're always thinking about how to get you to move to the next step, how to get you to move forward in your relationship so that you're not stuck, right? And then we also inc incorporate curiosity in everything. So, you know, become curious about your feelings and how you can, Basically, if you are experiencing a feeling that is not serving you, you know, how can you change that thought so that you can experience a feeling that serves you? For example, I think one of the most important things to understand is that, you know, the way that we feel starts with a thought, right? So our everything, we have so many thoughts that run through our mind every single day. So first we start out with a thought and then that thought becomes a feeling and that feeling then becomes a belief and then we act out on those beliefs. So those beliefs then create our actions, right? 
So if we can, if we are having a thought that's going through our mind every single day, and but it's not serving us, then we have to go and think about how can we change that thought so that it results in a different action, right? In a different feeling so that it's more positive and that it serves us. So that's kind of what we focus on with coaching. Do you think that we can get more comfortable, um, even though we brought up in a household that doesn't really talk about uh, these kinds of things? Because at the end of the day, even talking to an outsider can be quite daunting, um, even if they are a professional. People don't want to admit that they're wrong and then to go speak about something so personal to a complete stranger. So how do you overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the first one of the most important things I, I would do, I would recommend is to work on yourself, right? to work on the feelings that you have about sex, you know, kind of explore it, think about. So, you know, one of the retreats that I recently did that I was um, fortunate enough to be a part of, we had our group of women, um, about 20 plus women. And, um, you know, we all sat around and we did an icebreaker where we talked about what was the first thing that came to our mind when we heard the word sex right? And I would say in that group, probably, you know, 80 to 90% of women had very sex negative thoughts, right? And so where do those sex negative thoughts come from? Perhaps it's from our, you know, the way that we were raised, perhaps it's from our community, perhaps it's from our culture. But if we go back to the basics, and if, you know, if you're a woman of faiths and say that you are, you know, since this is singlemuslim.com, um, if you're a Muslim woman, it's very, very important to remember that Islam is a very sex positive religion and to give yourself permission, right? I find that, you know, people are always waiting for other people to give themselves permission, but how about giving yourself permission? Give yourself permission to learn, to educate yourself, to learn about your body, to learn what you like, to learn what you don't like so that you can experience pleasure, right? And so that you can change that sex negativity into something that's positive. And so that when you have children, Hopefully you can also bring them up and raise them up in a sex positive environment as opposed to a sex negative environment. And then, you know, you can see for yourself what, what happens when we raise our children in a sex positive environment. Well, you know, not well, only before we, we go into that, because I think that's yeah. another big question, actually, about children. How do we talk to children? um about sex positively i can't believe we're actually at the final part of the show but honestly thank you so much for tuning in if you haven't um seen the beginning please rewind back to, you know when you come to the end of the show there's so much information that i know that you're going to find so useful so make sure you do that but as we have a few more minutes left in the final part i want to make sure that i take full advantage of dr sadaf's amazing amazing information and insight that she's giving us so far now, again, we were talking about how to talk positively about sex, especially in our households. Now, we can do that amongst adults and we can do that with our partners. Obviously, it could, you know, we have to learn that over time. Now, the other challenge is talking to children about it. And should we even talk to children in our homes about sex positively? And if so, how and when? And is there a difference between the boys and the girls and age? What's your thoughts on that, Dr. Seda? Yeah, so I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's very, very important um, to have those discussions. You know, you asked about the proper age. I think that the way that you start a conversation with children is first and foremost, when they're younger, to teach them their proper body parts with 
the proper vocabulary, right? So I think that what happens is that because we are embarrassed, we are, you know, we don't know how to approach uh, sex or, you know, we think that um, what, you know, has been created by Allah for some reason is very dirty or shameful or something like that. We don't feel comfortable. And because of our discomfort, we don't um, call, you know, the external um, genitalia of a woman like a vulva. We don't call, you know, male anatomical parts by their proper names. And so we make up names, right? Like we say cookie or whatever, whatever <laughs> other name you come up with. The problem with that is that if your child ever, you know, hopefully this will never happen to anyone. But, you know, if that child gets abused in any way, and if they try to come and tell you that they were abused, you know, they won't have the language, right? They won't have the vocabulary to tell you what is happening because they will only use what you've taught them. And what you've taught them is say, uh, you know, calling their private parts a cookie or something like that. And then if they say, oh, somebody touched my cookie, you'll be like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, who cares? Somebody touch your cookie, right? So it just doesn't make sense. So it's very important. And that's how I would start the discussion is that when the children, as they are getting older, right, is to use proper vocabulary for their anatomical parts. That's what they are. We shouldn't make up names for anatomical parts. That's the first, that's the first sex ed course, right? The second would be that, yes, you talk to your children. Why? Because again, if we feel something is shameful, if we feel something is dirty, these are our issues, not theirs. So there's no reason for us to transfer our feelings and our beliefs onto our children regarding sex, right? We want them to be intelligent human beings that know the proper vocabulary so that they can then voice their concerns, they can voice their pleasure, they can voice their wants, what they what they desire with the proper vocabulary. And they know how to go and talk to their, you know, primary care doctor or their gynecologist or their urologist or whoever. And we want that discussion to be open, right? So if you're a parent that has children, you want to have an open communication with your child because if you're not talking about it, then where are they getting their information, right? Either it's with friends or it's Google or it's porn. Would you rather that your child get their sex ed information from porn? I would hope not. Why? Because those are all theatrics. That's not reality, right? So if, if a child or a adult or whoever starts watching porn and starts thinking that that is reality, then they will be definitely upset when they get married and find out that that's not reality, right? That that's not really what happens. And those are all theatrics and they'll be disappointed. And a lot of divorces happen because, you know, couples don't realize or, you know, whatever that when they actually get married, porn is not real. And, you know, there's a lot of disappointment that ensues. So very important to have that open relationship with your children, with your partner, so that, you know, everybody is on the same page. And so, yes, absolutely. I think it's very important to have those. And it's a difficult discussion. I'm not saying it's easy. It really is. No, I agree with you. It is not easy. But the way you described it is absolutely uh, perfect. And I think 
the, the kind of stages and the process that you actually went through by taking that time to discuss, you know, just yourself and how to describe the body parts and, and be, you know, open about it. Because, you know, they do learn biology, but that's when they're in secondary school. But before they go there, at least they'll understand uh, some of what, you know, what they are and what they entail and what is the names, the correct names of each part of the body. So I love that. And I think it's really, really useful for a lot of parents out there who are struggling, especially in this day and age and this time. Um, actually, you raised something again with which comes up to my next question. I think you can read my mind with my questions, actually, when it comes to dissatisfaction. And I come across many, many couples um, who are not satisfied with their sort of like um, sex life and, you know, the intimacy. So how do you um, sort of like, you know, go around discussing that and, and coming out to your partner with that Um that, you know, these things are something that I'm just not happy about. And again, it can create divorce if it's not dealt with. And if you do deal with it, inshallah, then, you know, it can actually build that relationship. So how do you um, sort of like bring that up when you realize that you're not satisfied with your sex life? You know, Fahima, I think, um, again, I think it's very, very important to have an open communication with your you know, it all starts with communication, everything, right? Whether it's with our children, our family, our friends, our spouses, whoever it's with, it starts with open and honest communication. And if it is something that is important to you and important to your life, important to your marriage, that I would hope that you would be able to discuss it with your spouse. And if you're not able to, then really think about why. Why are you not able to discuss your most intimate thoughts with the person that you're supposed to be the most intimate with. I think, again, you raised another question that I was about to ask is how do you develop that confidence to express what you want? You have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think that that is where, you know, I would love to leave it for, you know, viewers and people is to know that this is a difficult conversation. It is. I'm not sugarcoating it. It's, it's you know, it's a journey for most people. And it's even been a journey for me. So it's not like, you know, I'm coming to you and I'm, you know, all of a sudden so, you know, open and this and that. It's it's a journey. And it's a journey that for me was very important, you know. And I think that if it's a journey for you and if you think that it's important and it's an important part of your relationship, then you have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And that's really the only way to begin that conversation, right? And slowly that uncomfortable conversation will become comfortable, but it has to start and it has to start somewhere. And you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable, right? And that's the other thing is showing yourself compassion and showing that vulnerability with your most intimate partner with your spouse. And when you open up and when you show that vulnerability, hopefully they reciprocate and they don't shut you down and they appreciate and applaud you for your vulnerability. And then you can start that discussion. Yeah, that's very true. I think um, having that sort of like idea that it is uncomfortable and you've got to be, you know, open to being uncomfortable and vulnerable is is so vital. But then also your upbringing has a real effect on your relationship, your attitude towards your beliefs and sex and intimacy. So um, how much can you undo if you need to when it comes to your upbringing, if it's not positive and if it's not something that was 
um, sort of allowing you to feel free to within yourself or even to express yourself to your partner so that we can highlight to the audience the importance of upbringing. Absolutely. So, you know, we can't change that, right? So an upbringing is the way that we were raised. And so we can't go back in time. We cannot go change that. And so we carry with us all the baggage that we were raised with. However, if it is something that is very important to you, right, I would ask you to go to the basics, you know, being Muslim and being a part. And if you're listening to this, you're listening to Muslim TV, then I would, you know, assume that perhaps you are Muslim. And then I would go to the basics and go back to the Quran and the Sunnah and look at what, what does the Quran tell us about intimacy and relationships, right? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that, you know, marriage is half of our faith? There's a reason for that, right? What does the Prophet, peace be upon him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what does he say about intimacy? What does he say about relationships, right? So although we can't do undo the damage or whatever damage or trauma a person has experienced, what we can do is go to the basics and find out, you know, what our religion says about it and why Islam is such a sex positive religion and get strength from that and know that you can move past this, right? But you have to do the work. It's not just going to happen. You have to heal from the trauma. You have to heal from whatever baggage that you may be hanging on to and figure out whether or not it's serving you. And if it's not serving you, then let it go, right? And like I said, it's a journey. It's not just going to happen. It'll happen over time, but you have to take the first steps. You have to, if you need to, you have to seek the help. You have to seek the coaching that you need so that you can move forward. Lovely. I love that. You know, Dr. Sadaf, you've been an absolute pleasure with us tonight. And we have come to the end of the show, but we have a minute left. And I want to leave that with your final thoughts and also with your details so that if anyone wants to reach you and follow you, they can actually do so. So please take it away for another minute or so. Um, and then hopefully we can um, get your details. Absolutely. I mean, what I would love to leave the listeners and the watch and uh, people watching with is give yourself permission right? Give yourself permission to move past whatever it is that you're trying to heal from and allow yourself that time and that space that you need to heal, but also to know that you can move forward and allow yourself. And by giving yourself permission, think about all the worlds that you are opening up, right? That sex positivity that you are developing. And for future generations, you are also developing that sex positivity and how important that is in both yourself and in your culture and in your community and what good that will do. You know, Beautiful. and I invite anyone who wants to, to come and work with me because I think that that is very important. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one -on -one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.